You know that quote about making goals and aiming at things, don't you? I think it was Zig Ziglar that said it. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. Know that one? How many have been successful at that, by the way? Just checking, so good. Zig Ziglar was the American author, salesman, motivational speaker. Faith was woven into his motivational speaking. Well, he just died just a few years ago. But if you aim at nothing, you will hit it. Those of you who are really good goal setters, you just relish goal setting, and you love to do it at work, you love to do it at home, you love to impose it on others around you, um, you love this phrase, right? <laughs> but this phrase really is more than about just setting goals. It's really about kind of the direction of our life and our, our purpose, whether we frame goals that are specific, achievable, measurable, and whatever else they're supposed to be, Right? It really is a sense of purpose and a sense of direction to our lives. Where, where are we going? For believers, it's always aiming at, um, at becoming more of who God created us to be is really the direction that we, we, we want to point our lives. It's about growing really in Christ-likeness is what it means for us to be moving in a direction that we feel is, a, is, is the right way to go. Of be moving towards Christ-likeness of becoming a more effective servant of the king and his kingdom. And so we have acknowledged here, and we do on this first Sunday of the year, that our word for the year can really be an important part of sort of um, encapsulating or, or focusing, perhaps, uh, part of what we want to aim for as individuals. What is the area where we want to grow? What is the thing that God is calling us to focus on or to discover or to learn about in the year ahead? But it's also, and part of what we want to emphasize in these next several weeks is that it's not just knowing this as a as sort of a solo quest. I think sometimes we talk about my word for the year and my process and my growth, and it is a personal issue. But we also want to see that there's a, there's a sense that we do this together. That's why there's that's why there's church. That's why we do Christian growth together. That's why there's the uh, this image of the body of Christ that we read in Scripture and we actually experience when we live into it. The body of Christ. It's intended to be the place where we learn, where we grow, where we serve together, where we challenge each other in in what it is that we're actually aiming for and and targeting in in our growth. And so we we want to do this together. And so that's why really for the next uh, the next six Sundays today through uh, the last Sunday before Lent. Um, which is uh, Sunday, September, uh, February 7th, Super Bowl Sunday, better known as Super Bowl Sunday these days. It's part of the church calendar now, apparently. But anyway, um, as a church in these next six weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about some of the important areas of our Christian life uh, that are part of growing and moving forward, some of the things that will take us deeper. We're going to be looking at a few different discipleship themes, or we might actually call them targets, like the Word, like prayer, like stewardship, like racial reconciliation. What are some of the targets that we need to be looking at that have the potential of taking us deeper in our relationship with Christ, but taking us deeper together, deeper together. How can we grow deeper together? And so that's the theme that we've chosen for these six weeks of deeper together. And we're beginning with the Word, the Word of God, the living Word of God, Jesus Christ, the written Word in the Holy Scriptures, and actually the Word that we will hopefully select and that God will show to us as we choose our word for the year. So I just want to kind of set it up by looking at kind of a big picture of, of what it means to aim at something and then coming and zeroing a little more in on the word and then Pastor Diana is going to come and specifically talk about word for the year and how God is using that. Ziegler again said, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. We need to know where we're going. We need to know where we're going as followers of Christ. We need to know it as individuals and we need to know it as a church. 
As a church, nearly four years ago, we developed a, a vision statement. And, we, and a vision statement is defined as that preferred future. If we, if we head in the direction of our mission and where God wants us to go, this, this is what we think it will, will look like. And that vision statement is not just chosen out of a, a book of vision statements. It really came and comes through a process of awareness of our strengths as a church, as well as the areas that we identified where we needed to make some improvements. And so about four years ago, we came up with a statement. You could call it something, actually, that we aim for, and it provides some direction. And ours is this. Imagine an inviting community equipping people to go make a kingdom difference. Imagine an inviting community equipping people to go make a kingdom difference. That's the, the thing that we're, we're aiming for as a church by God's grace and by the Spirit's direction. I like this vision statement because it really links the three things that we know are, are needed in the life of church. It talks about community, it talks about discipleship, it talks about mission. It talks about the church as a community that needs to, to be, have an inviting quality, not just the verb inviting, but the adjective inviting. There's something about those people, the way they connect, the way we connect, the way we like to be together that ought to make us a more inviting community. We're strong on that, and we want to be stronger, so we're aiming towards being a more inviting community. Discipleship is there in the word equipping, equipping people. Equipping isn't even a Bible word from Ephesians chapter 4 where it talks about the gifts of the spirits that are there to equip the saints to be a stronger body of Christ. So discipleship here comes in equipping and, and even worshiping is part of our equipping and growing is part of that equipping. But all issues forth then in mission, which is making a kingdom difference. God calls us to all of those. They're interrelated. You can't draw a hard line in between discipleship and community and mission. They're tied together. It's organic in the life of the church. It's not specific things in specific boxes or departments, even though we'd like to departmentalize these kind of things. Think about it. Engaging in in a mission project develops and strengthens the disciples. You learn more about yourself. You learn dependence on God when you're involved in some kind of mission project. And it's more effective and it's more fun and it's more meaningful when you do it with other people in community. There, all three get linked that easily like that. Or deeply studying the Bible and pursuing a more vital walk with Christ is more meaningful when you do it with others, when you learn from others and you reflect with each other. And it's also more meaningful when we can challenge each other to accountability, to not just know the word and reflect the word and fill in the blanks in a workbook, but actually do the word, to to live out what the word calls us to in a missional life. And that's not just missions. Missional is much broader than mission projects. So living a life that impacts others. That's, that's what missional, that's what God calls us to do. So see, they're, they're interwoven, and I think we need to understand that as a church as we head in the direction of our vision. When we began this process, this vitality process, uh, we talked about being a healthy church, and we defined healthy as pursuing Christ and pursuing his priorities. You pursue this deeper relationship with Christ, and as you do that, you get to know what his priorities are for you and for the world, and so you pursue his priorities. They're linked together. I remember Gary Walter, who's the president of the Evangelical Covenant Church, years ago when he was the director of church growth and evangelism, was at our church in Arizona. I remember his two phrases that he loved to share were, deeper in Christ, further in mission. Deeper in Christ, further in mission. And I can remember him especially talking about how they feed each other. You cannot go deeper in Christ without it motivating you to go further in mission. And there's no way to, be, there's no way to, to go further in mission effectively without going deeper in Christ. They're inextricably linked together. We're going to get to the word, by the way, in case you're wondering. I'm just building a background here. Back to the vision after establishing, we asked what areas need the most focus in our church to help us move in the direction of our vision. What do we need to do to improve our aim 
to hit this vision. And so we talked about focusing our mission, and we've worked hard on that. We talked about our Sunday morning, not only this worship, but what happens in the building on Sunday mornings. But the third area was to deepen disciples, and that's really kind of where we're headed in these six weeks, is talk about going deeper together and deepening disciples. Each of those three focus areas had a church-wide objective, and I just want to share the one that falls under deepening disciples as we move forward. It says this, Our objective is to encourage everyone to pursue Christ in studying the Bible, in prayer, connecting in community, and learning to live out their faith in a missional lifestyle as we become disciple-makers who know, love, and serve God. That's from our mission statement. So you can see it there. You can see the discipleship uh, uh, that results in lives that make a difference, including, not, but not limited to, study of the word, prayer, building our community life, discipleship that takes us deeper, deeper into the word, deeper into Jesus, deeper into meaningful life. That is our objective of going deeper together. And I think we really connect with this. We connect to this deeper together thing when we really understand what it means to hunger for deeper things. Hungering for deeper things, not just knowing in our head that we should to be good little Christians, but what are the things that we hunger for in the deepest places? What are our deepest desires? I think if we go to the deep places, sometimes we discover that it's really to be, it's to be real, isn't it? Nobody aspires and hungers to be a phony person. (laughs) We want to be the real person God has created us to be. We want to live a, a life that's aligned in ways where uh, who we are on the inside and who we are on the outside is the same person. We want, to be, we want to get to know other people and to truly be who we are. We want to be the best people that we can be. I want to be the best me I can be. Or perhaps our deepest desire is to truly know God and to be assured that we're living out his will for our life. There's certain seasons of life where we're, we're yearning to know what is God's will for me. And sometimes it comes so specifically in the, the choice of a college, the choice of a major, the choice of a life partner. What is God's will for me is a deep desire we hunger for at times. How might I live God's way? But also I think sometimes our deeper hunger connects with those places of, of relationships as well. We have a deep hunger to live in, in healthy, life-giving relationships. Relationships where we are able to give and take in ways that give life to both. Our deepest desire is that our children would experience those things, that our family connections would be healthy and vital. That the relationships that we build as friends would not just be surface level, but go to those places where we truly are there for each other and have each other's back. Those are our, our deep desires. We have a deep desire to be connected with others in affirming and constructive ways. Sometimes when we talk about hungering for deeper desires, it's hard not to escape some of the things that make us feel secure. And so sometimes our deep, deep desires go, first of all, to a place of, of financial security. And this isn't so much a, a desire to be wealthy. It's just a desire to be secure. Because the world throws us all kinds of things that make us afraid. Either afraid or greedy. That's what Ann Wiesbrock, who is head of Covenant Trust Company, says. Those are the two things that drive financial markets, fear and greed. They take turns. 2015 was a horrible year for the stock market, so fear is working, but greed will come back. But she talks about something else that motivates us towards accumulating wealth and investing in ways that make a difference for the kingdom. But anyway, financial security is something we worry about, but even deeper desire maybe is a sense of, of contentment, a sense of security where we don't experience fear when it comes to our material well-being. Our deep desires go, go deeper than, to, than financial security to contentment and to security. Sometimes our hunger is for a deeper life that has meaning. Is, is my life making a difference? 
can be a, a deeper desire as well. To have hope and confidence even when the world around us is crazy. To see and know God fully or as fully as is possible. Deeper together means really kind of tapping into what are some of the deep desires that only God really ultimately can meet. And so we know that our first stop then there is, is the word of God, the living word of God. To go deeper together and to go deeper into some of these desires will mean coming first to Jesus Christ, first and foremost to Christ, who is the living word. Deeper together with the living word. On Christmas Eve, my text Christmas Eve, we did seven lessons and, and then interspersed with carols and singing. It was a wonderful service, by the way. If you're out of town, I'm sorry you missed it, but uh, we had a great time here. And the text that I spoke from, just briefly, but I spoke from John 1, 1 through 14, and that's the one that begins with the words, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was with was God. And it speaks of this concept of word, this Greek logos idea, which really means a revelation of God, the self-expression of God, the mind of God, or as we said Christmas Eve, and I share again, the intent of God. In the beginning was the intent of God, the mind, mind of God, and it put on flesh is what this text says, and became Jesus Christ. The living word comes to us in Jesus Christ. The expression of God, the self-revelation of God, the intent of God comes to us in and through the living word, Jesus Christ. Scripture is the whole story of God loving, creating, making peace, redeeming, and empowering, begun in and through Israel, but ultimately accomplished in and through Jesus Christ. At the heart of our commitment to Scripture, to the word of God, is the conviction that Jesus was and is the eternal living word of God. We believe the Bible is God's word because it comes to us through the living word, Jesus Christ. He is how we come to know God. He fulfills the prophecies, promises and prophecies of Scripture. Jesus himself lived by the word of God and opens us up to it as well. So our growth as Christians is not just in, growing, in a growing knowledge of the Bible, but it is growing in Christ, the living word. It's what we refer to these days as spiritual formation. Spiritual formation. Spiritual formation means how is Christ formed within us? Our growing in Christ means the Spirit forming Christ in us and, and, and helping us head down to those deeper desires of being all that God has called us to be. Here's one of the definitions that I like of spiritual formation. It says this, Spiritual formation is the process of being conformed to the image of Christ by the gracious working of God's Spirit for the transformation of the world. The process of being conformed to the image of Christ. And when we speak more intentionally of what spiritual formation ministries or what we might have used to call Christian education, there's this phrase that says, the intentional transformation of the inner person to the character of Christ. So in that intentional part is, what are the things we do in terms of studying the word? What are the things we do in terms of learning and growing? What are the things we do in, in community that will help us be transformed in our inner person to the character of Christ? And what role does the Word of God play there as well? Not just growing, but growing in Christ. Not just spirituality, but really, um, or not just creating things that serve ourselves, but intended to take us deeper into Christ, the living Word. Deeper together. Deeper together into those places that we hunger for in God. Deeper into Jesus Christ, the living Word. And deeper, of course, into the inspired Word of God. Thank you, David, for your reading of the scripture and really for setting that up as well. Because sometimes we pull scripture out and we look at it and we go, isn't that a great text? But I thank you for, for planting in that place of Timothy being reminded by his spiritual father and mentor, Paul, of what is most important. 
All Scripture is God-breathed and given to us for correction, for reproof, for all these things that transform us and draw us to Christ. In the Evangelical Covenant Church, we have six affirmations, and the first affirmation is the centrality of the Word of God. We affirm the centrality of the Word of God. It is the only perfect rule for faith, for doctrine and conduct. Faith, how do I come to faith? How do I believe? For doctrine, how am I to act in this world? What does the Scripture say about that? And how am I to conduct myself as well? And doctrine, what am I to believe? The beginnings of our denominational movement, the covenant, were all around discovering new life in Jesus Christ. The churches they were in, there was a dullness to them. They were going through the motions. So these early covenanters would get together on Sunday nights and they would have, they were, they were like small groups and they would sing those new crazy contemporary songs together 150 years ago. And they would, of course they would drink coffee. Couldn't do it without the coffee. But seriously, they got together and they talked about their walk with Christ. They talked about being alive in Christ and experiencing joy in their relationship with Christ. And then they would open up the word and they would ask each other questions. And the phrase they would often say to each other, where is it written? Where is it written? I believe this about God. Where is it written? And they would go to the word and they would discover together what is written in the word. Where is it written is not where is it proof texted. This was, this was where, where do we discover it together as we understand the word of God together. It was a desire to know the whole intent of scripture. And it begins with this recognition of the scripture's authority and its ability truly to guide us. We need to read the Word of God in context. We need to understand its intent. We need to read it really holistically. What what does the entirety of Scripture say about this thing that we're, we're asking about? The Word of God even interprets itself in certain places. And so when we ask each other, where is it written, that implies we do that in community. We learn best with and from each other as we engage with the Word of God. So the goal is the vision of being equipped and making a difference. Part of that is to going deeper together into our walk with Christ, and part of that is going deeper into the Word of God and what that means for us as well. And so I want to encourage us in this first Sunday of the new year, this first Sunday of a six-week series, to take seriously what the Word says about going deeper. But then there's our Word for the year as well. I'm going to invite Pastor Diana to come and take over. Not take over, like, everything, but just, just the this. sermon, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> we were joking around ahead of time about being taking control, but actually it's allowing God to take control of our lives, and that's really actually what choosing the word of the year is for, is to allow God to come and speak truth and light into your life. And if you have no idea what this word of the year is, I'm going to give you a little bit of information. So if you're just catching up with us, um, this is what it is. You choose a word or pick a word, any word that you feel like you want. Or, better yet, allow God to give you a word. And I'm going to talk about how God gave me a word last year. It was about November of last year, and this word kept popping up out of the scriptures at me, and the word was ready. I'd never seen the word ready in the scriptures before, and I don't know why I had never seen it before, but suddenly it was as if it was in bold print, ready. So I decided this must be what God wants my word of the year to be. Isaiah 46, 13 says this, For I am ready to set things right, not in the distant future, but right now. I'm ready to save Jerusalem and to show my glory to Israel. 
Ezekiel 38, 7 says, get ready, be prepared, keep all the enemies around you mobilized and take command of them. I guess that's a little controlling. Matthew 24, 44 says, you also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man to come when least expected. I was kind of hopeful this year. When God's people, Romans 12, 2, when God's people are in need, be ready to help. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Isaiah 38, 20, think of it. The Lord is ready to heal me. I will sing his praises with instruments every day of my life in the temple of the Lord. As I thought about this word ready, I got excited for what God was going to do in my life this past year. I was ready for him to set things right. I was ready for him to save. I was telling, he was telling me to get ready and mobilize your people. He was encouraging me to get ready for his coming. Be ready to help God's people and eager to practice hospitality. The Lord was ready to heal me. I was excited for all of these things in my life, so I excitedly took on this word ready. I was ready to do anything to get ready for whatever God had for me. Office space, ready. Closet space, ready. First letdown in spring, not so much ready. I was getting ready for good things. I didn't want any letdowns. But I still asked for God to press me forward into this readiness because I felt like it hadn't happened yet. Back on task, as spring came, I got ready to do ministry differently. Summer, I readied myself physically, running, swimming, walking, making sure that I was ready for whatever God had for me. I prepared my heart spiritually, awaiting this great thing that God was asking me to get ready for. August finances. Ready. We were saving more and getting rid of some of that debt that had been lingering around way too long. Mid-August, feeling great. This getting ready thing feels really good. I felt healthy. I felt grounded. I felt happy. And then it hit me. Something I had not considered God would not need me to get ready for something that would be easy or fun or fast. We don't have to get ready for something fast and easy. It just happens. We have to get ready when something is hard and likely going to take a long time. I still didn't know what I was getting ready for, but I was kind of bracing myself mid-August. September 1, I woke up, headed off to work, And by the time I had gotten home, Rodney said, sit down, I have some bad news. Strangely, my heart didn't even seem to race. I calmly sat down. I'm ready. I listened to what Rodney had to say. He said, my boss of 13 years called me into into his office today and said the ambulance company closed yesterday. Rodney was officially unemployed. No hope of severance or back pay. The company was filing for bankruptcy. We both sat there, shell-shocked, next to each other. What now? 
Strangely, strangely, both of us had this calm peace. That peace that somehow God had gotten us ready for. Now, don't get me wrong, we are both human, and usually something like this sends us both into a tailspin. But somehow, this time it was different. We were ready. We both knew that it would be hard. And we both knew that it would challenge our marriage. And it would challenge our individual hearts. And we both knew it would be a long journey. It was like we were ready for this. The first week was a roller coaster, interviews, talks of mergers, and hopes of not missing one single paycheck. To the next day hearing that it was all falling through, and that we could have known all of this six months prior. As the first month went by, instead of fighting with each other, we grew closer to one another. As we had been getting ready physically over the summer, Rodney and I had been talking and walking for miles every day. We found ourselves dreaming and creating as we walked, rather than crashing and burning and crying. As we had been getting ready, Rodney and I had started praying together every morning. We had started praying for God not to just give Rodney a new job, but to allow him to live into his dream and his calling. In October, Rodney was able to join me on the pastor's spouse retreat, because what else was he doing, right? When we first got there, our superintendent, Jerome, he asked Rodney, how's it going? Rodney, in that moment, decided to go for broke. He said, well, actually, I lost my job last month, so if you have any pulpit fill you need, I'm your man. One week later, the email came. Jerome needed someone to preach at a dying church on the south side in Blue Island. Their pastor had gotten a new job, and they needed a preacher next week. At the end of preaching that day, the chairman asked him if he could come again. Rodney, of course, agreed and had a tremendous sense of what God was doing in his life. What man meant for, for evil, God meant for good. The loss of the job was actually allowing Rodney to live into his long-term dream of preaching more regularly than once a month at the homeless shelter in Joliet. After he preached the second time at the Mission Covenant Church, they asked him if he would stay for the council meeting as they decided on the search committee. They handed Rodney the annual report and the full budget. We were hopeful, but we tried not to get our hopes up too much. And then the church went silent for a week and a half. On November 18th, we went to bed hopeless. It was the end of the road. There were no more interviews. There was no more hope. And we both woke up that morning in a bad state of mind. We both felt hopeless at the same time for the first time in two and a half months. But this time, it felt like it might be the rest of our lives. Hopeless. We both went our separate ways that morning, and all I could think about was, how does anyone get ready for this? That day, I was going to Central Conference offices for a youth pastor meeting. As I walked through the door, Jerome grabbed me and pulled me into his office, and he said, how's it going? (laughs) 
really? He said, I have another church for Rodney. I could hardly believe what I was hearing, but I also knew that I had to go into this two-hour meeting. As I sat down, my phone began to ring over and over and over again, and it was Rodney. So I text messaged really quickly under the table as I was helping to lead this meeting. Do you need me to step out to talk? Because I knew I had left him hopeless that morning. He said, no, but call me as soon as you can. And I knew Jerome hadn't talked to him because he was still in the meeting with me. At the same time I was talking to Jerome, Rodney got brave and called the Blue Island Covenant Church. And he said, hey, how's it going? I'd like to put my name in the hat. The chairman began to laugh and he said, well, you're our first choice. Be nice for us to tell us that. (laughs) So now Rodney and I are ready. We're ready to be a two-pastor family. Him in his pulpit today and me in mine. Both of us fully alive and living out our full callings that God has called us to, the way he intended it. Which brings me to my word or words for this year. During this hard time, both of us couldn't understand why we kept laughing at things. Things that would normally stress us out and throw us off the charts emotionally. The same day he lost his job, our little dog Scooter got extremely sick. I won't, I'll spare you the details. The next week, the garage door broke. The next week, the treadmill broke. We became this little joke between the two of us. Rodney would say, does God hate me? And I would say, I think we're cursed. But we were laughing. We were enjoying, and I felt my new word starting to bubble up. Our marriage grew in a really positive direction. We were working together. We could see God's hand in our lives. We were praying together more, trusting God together. And when the offer came from the church, the exact financial number that I had been asking God for came through. I began to laugh, and I said, you can call him right back. So my word of the year, words of the year this year, are joyful hope. I considered just the word joy, but it didn't seem to be enough. And as Christmas rolled around, joyful seemed to be everywhere. And on Christmas Eve, that perfect song was sung, joyful hope, were in the words. At first, I questioned myself adding the word hope just because I liked it. And then as I was reading a book that someone gave me on Christmas Eve, page 17 had the word hope on there seven times. And then I thought, well, maybe I'm supposed to drop the word joyful. And then joy popped up two more times on page 18. I'm confident that God has led me to these words this year, joyful hope. I'm going to let let God humor me with his infinite wisdom in my life. And give me hope at each turn. January 1st, this passage of scripture was in my devotional. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Some of you have already chosen your word of the year. Some of you just learned what the word of the year is. 
But this word is to prayerfully guide you through your year, allowing God to speak to you. I'm going to give us a moment to sit in silence and allow a word to come to mind. Don't push any word out. Let every word in. Maybe even jot it down as you're listening. Maybe throughout this time you've been hearing a word over and over again and you're thinking, why does this word want to chase me this morning? Maybe write that one down. Also in your bulletin is, are some questions on that last page of the notes. You can look at those questions as you sit in the, in the silence. There might be a verse that pops into your mind. Feel free to look for it in the scriptures. But I'm going to give us one full minute to process and to listen for the voice of God. And at the end of that minute, I will pray. During that minute, you can write it down on that double-sided card if you want. Or you can take it home with you and process through the week as well. Let's pray. Lord God, as we have sat and listened, may we be obedient to this word this year. Amen. If you didn't get your word during this time, it's okay, it's normal. If you did get your word during this time, awesome, exciting. You can, you can write it down and uh, hand it to Pastor Scott at the end. But one of the things that Rodney got me this year, because he knew joy was going to be a part of it, he got me this doll that talks, which seems weird, but it's from Inside Out, and it's the little doll that's joy, um, is, is her name. And she has this great quote, and I was going to bring it, but there's seven or nine things that she says. So I'll just, I'll just say what she quoted. I love this, and it can be a way that we can live forward. All right, everyone, fresh start. We're going to have a good day, which will turn into a good week, which will turn into a good year, which will turn into a good life. (laughs) So this year, allow your word to take you prayerfully forward into what God has for you. Amen.